we're going to go into Matthew chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, grab it and find Matthew chapter 13. If you've got a smartphone or app or something on a, on a device that can get you to Matthew chapter 13, do that. But if you don't have a Bible, you don't have one with you, um, and you'd like one, would you just raise your hand? If you would just raise your hand, my friend Mark will actually bring a Bible to you. And so if you don't have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, um, and Mark would love to give you one so that you can follow along. As always, this is kind of a, uh, this is our protective measure so that if I say something silly or ridiculous, which I mean, I, I, I don't usually do that, um, but if, if I were to say something ridiculous, you would be like, oh, that's just Jonathan being silly. That's not actually in the Bible. And, uh, and so just, this is a protective measure so that I'm not leading you by opinion. Uh, we're not simply projecting our opinions onto this group of people, and we're not following a track that's laid out by our own hobbies or, or our own interests, but instead we want God's Word to be the, the, the guiding light. We, we believe that even God word, God's Word tells us that if we would take His Word and hide it in our hearts, that that would be the protective measure that we might not sin against Him. And that, that Word is ultimately a light that guides our way. It's, it's a lamp that gives us the ability to not trip on what's in front of us. Um, my opinions and my best ideas and my most creative days can't keep you from stumbling, but God's Word really can. And so we dig into God's Word into Matthew chapter 13. Um, and if you found it there, this is how I will start. So there was this farmer. This farmer went out to plant some seeds. And he didn't plant them in rows, but instead he scattered the seed out. And some of the seed fell on the road. And because it fell on the road, it never took any root, and the birds came and they ate it. And some of the seed fell into the gravel. It had just enough soil to kind of spring up, but as soon as it did, since it had no root, the sun scorched it and killed it just as quickly. And there was some of the seed that fell among weeds. And it came up, and once it sprouted, the weeds choked it and stole its light and stole its moisture and stole all that it needed to survive. It strangled the little plant. Then some of the seed fell on good earth, and then it produced a harvest beyond the farmer's wildest dreams. You feel me? You hear me? you're listening, pay attention. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? Jesus says at the end of that parable, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But I don't, I don't want to dig into this parable like we've been doing for the last week and rob you of the plain sense. So just kind of let that sit on you, right? Jesus just in front of a crowd of people. Hey, there was this farmer, throws out some seed. On three different instances, bad stuff happened and it was worthless. One, on one instance, fell on good soil and created a crop that was amazing beyond the farmer's expectations. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm saying? You hear me? And just kind of let that sit on you for a while because Jesus gives us an explanation and we want to dig into that, but I also don't want to dig so far into, into this parable that we, we, we rob ourselves of the plain sense of it. So, I'm a guy that likes to give analogies, and every once in a while you come across the guy you give an analogy to, and they take the analogy a little too seriously, and they just kind of run off, you know, and you're like, it's like, it's like when the Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit does the thing, and then, and then that person just, you just gave them permission to just run their brain all into a crazy place. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like when Aragorn did, and you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about now, man. I, that's not the point. I was just trying 
to illustrate. And so I don't want us to take the analogies that Jesus gives us to, to illustrate what he's doing and what he's accomplishing for us and the kingdom that he's creating and run so far with our imagination that we miss the plain sense. But essentially, for most of the people who heard this parable, they got exactly what I gave you. Just kind of a story. Hey, sometimes farmer goes out, good things happen. Great crop happens. And the investment that the farmer makes pays off. Big dividends. But most of the time, let's be honest, three out of four times, doesn't pan out. Things don't happen like we wish they would. So let's read this scripture. Let's, let's dig through it in chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Jesus, why do you speak to these people in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in the case of the prophecy, excuse me, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for you see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and they did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. So hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation, persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what is sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields 
In one case, a hundredfold. In another, sixty. And in another, thirty. So just in case you were like the disciples of Jesus and you want to know the meaning of this parable, we have it recorded for us by Matthew. After Jesus throws out kind of a cryptic story, hey, there was a guy, he planted. One out of four worked, three out of four didn't. And just kind of left it at that. And then that's why I say, I love at the end, he's like, if you can hear me, you better hear. And for those of you that, you know, you listen to me talk, when, I'm, when I say, you know what I mean, that's the time you're least likely to know what I mean. That's, the, that's when I tend to fill in, instead of saying um or uh, I just say, you know what I mean? And that's my way of admitting to you, I'm having a hard time conveying what I'm thinking right now. You know what I mean? You go, no. And Jesus ends kind of like this with cryptic filler. It's like, hey, planter goes out. One out of four works, three out of four doesn't. You know what I'm talking about? And just kind of leaves it at that. And apparently doesn't even begin to explain it. And, and then when the disciples say, what are you talking about? He says, oh, by the way, the people who get it, they really get it. But the people who don't get it, they really don't get it. And even though they hear it, they can't understand it. And they think they can, but they don't. But the people who do, they really do. As if to say, if you don't understand it, sorry. You're especially not going to understand it. But then he answers, hopefully, our questions to the disciples that we might have raised in our own hearts. What is he talking about? And we begin to see that this parable is like the rest of the parables in its kind of theme. Is This is a parable about the kingdom. Now, we breezed through this last week, and I always want to kind of come back to it. You'll see it says kingdom of heaven. Here, instead of as opposed to Luke, where we see the kingdom is the kingdom of God. Now, don't think that heaven and the kingdom of God, that they're different things. Instead, Matthew is just a good religious Jew, and he knows that you're not allowed to use the Lord's name in vain. And so to speak the word Yahweh, to speak the word in the name of God, would be sacrilegious. It would defile him. It would be sinful for him to do that. And so instead of saying the kingdom of God, he says kingdom of heaven, kind of like saying instead of the kingdom of God, like the kingdom of gosh, right? which may blow some of your minds already, like it's kind of the same thing, okay? And so he says the kingdom of heaven, meaning the same thing, and the reign of God. When, when God is in charge, this is what his kingdom will look like. And you and I, when we begin to apply this news of God's kingdom that's coming, we can ask every single day, what would it be like if Jesus were king today? What would it be like if instead of me being on the throne of my own life, making all the decisions, Jesus made all those decisions? And you begin to realize now Jesus is talking about something that that probably has some serious and deep ramifications in our own lives. What if you served Jesus today more than you? What if you wanted to do things that would please Jesus more than you want to do things that please you? It's especially important because right now my stomach's starting to growl. Yours? What if we were more hungry for what Jesus has for us than what our stomach does? And that's the kingdom of God. That's the picture that Jesus wants us to begin to have in our minds. And, and so that we'll have a fuller picture, a more vivid understanding of what this kingdom, what it would look like if Jesus really were reigning in our lives, he begins to tell us stories. He begins to paint that picture. And for these people in his audience, he used the kinds of word pictures that would have been very familiar. Now, this is somewhat okay, because if you look out and around, there is like corn husks everywhere. So we're not far removed from an agrarian society to where the, the pictures of planting, reaping and sowing, these kinds of things, they're not completely foreign to us. But let's be honest. We're in a climate-controlled building. Right? The, this agrarian society is a little bit different as it seems to apply to us as opposed to probably what Jesus was appealing to these original people. 
And so hopefully we can dig through, not, not digging so far into this parable that we lose sight of what Jesus really is teaching, right? Don't, don't take the parable and some of you right now, you're even like, well, what did this mean? What does this mean? And man, just slow down for a second, understand the plain sense of it, and then you get loose to go as far and as deep as you want into this parable. But this parable is a story, it's a picture of what God's kingdom is like. And the kingdom comes, this is what the kingdom looks like as it's coming. The word, it says, is sown, the word of the kingdom. Now, this is a word that we use on and on and on in our, our, our little group of people, this thing we call Connection Church. We're going to be loyal to this. You're going you're to get tired of hearing me saying this, but as we would summarize the good news of the kingdom, this word gospel, the good news, the good news that Jesus' kingdom is coming, we have a word picture for us to understand what that looks like. After all, gospel, the good news, was originally used by the Romans as a term to share with other people about their victory. And so when they would come in as an army and take over a people, they would say, hey, we want to tell you the gospel, the good news that we win. Now, if you were on their side, it was good news. But if you weren't on their side, it really wasn't good news. And they would come in and they would wipe a place out and they would you know, pillage and destroy it. But then they would say, hey, good news, we win. Good news, Caesar is now your king. Along come the Christians and they say, guess what? There's a king coming. You're right. There is a king coming, but his kingdom is not like that. His kingdom comes differently. It's not like an army coming in and destroying a place. In fact, it's kind of like when a planter, a farmer, sows seed in a place. His kingdom's different. His kingdom looks completely different. So I want to maybe dig through some of the pictures here. The, The plain sense of this, I guess if I could just encourage you with this, is that Our God, if He is the sower, sows seed freely, generously, and abundantly. Now you'll notice that it's titled the parable of the sower, but in reality, it's really the parable of the soil, isn't it? It's less about the sower, and it's really, in this parable, there seemed to be more vivid illustration of, not the sower himself, but of the soil, the soil in which the seed lands. But before we get into that, well, what, if, what if we just took that title seriously and we really believed that this parable was more about the sower than about the seed in the soil? And I would ask you this, if this parable teaches us about God, what must God be like? If you were going to plant a crop, you wanted to make money, you wanted to survive as a farmer, how would you plant? What would you do? I mean, you can see very clearly, if you look out the window or on the way home, you can see very clearly one of the coolest things that our planters and, and our region do, what our farmers do, they plant things in perfect rows. Because after all, if you're going to be efficient, if you want to drop a seed and know, you want to know that that seed is going to be fruitful, it's going to be profitable, you don't just throw it out there. You want to be calculated. Because if you and I are going to plant and make money off of it, We're going to take advantage of what we got here. It's going to make it easier to plant. It's going to make it more efficient to water. It's going to keep the erosion from running off the seed. Instead, it's going to push water toward the roots of the plant as it comes up. It's going to make it a whole lot easier to harvest. In fact, most of those things that we would think are advantageous to planting and and making money off a crop will be lost if we just scattered it out. That's how we do it. That's how we think. When we want to profit off of something, when we want to invest in something, that's how we would do it. Get your ducks in a row. Line things up. 
plow the field, till the soil, and then, and only then, begin to plant. And when you do it, plant it in rows. And if you're going to invest, if you're going to put yourself out there, you're going to put money and risk your time and your effort into planting a crop, and you're going to put your livelihood on that, you're going to live off of that, well, then you're going to invest carefully. You're going to be very, very shrewd and strategic. But that is not how God works. Our God, when He comes to take over as a loving and good king, as his kingdom is coming, he is not like a shrewd, strategic farmer who lays it in rows so that he will have no loss. Our God is so generous that he casts the seed out everywhere. Now, what, what kind of farmer throws a seed on the path, right? What kind of farmer throws a seed in the gravel, in the rocks? Right? What, what kind of farmer throws seed among weeds. He's either extremely wealthy or he is really, really optimistic about where that seed is going to come up. And if I could begin in one place, I would want you to see, maybe fix your eyes on who God is and what he's like in this story. Our God is not stingy. Our God is not shrewd and strategic. Instead, our God is generous. Our God is infinitely wealthy, so much so that our God risks and our God invests in places where sometimes it does not pay off. So that in the end, He gets the glory. So that in the end, He is generous. So that in the end, we see Him as a Father of blessing. And you already begin to see the difference between God and us? You ever invest in a relationship that doesn't pan out? Ever put time and energy in a relationship that just either hurts you or doesn't pan off? That doesn't, you don't benefit from it and it's, you walk away from it feeling like it's a waste of time? Would you go back into that relationship? Would you invest in somebody who you knew it wouldn't pay out? Would you, would you invest in someone you knew it would never ever pay out? You would never ever see any benefit. You would never see any fruit. Would you do that? Do you know who would? Our God. And when we see risks and when we see opportunities for failure, our God sees generosity, our God sees love and kindness. So much so that as, as you look at the people around you and you really pick the people you want to love, you want to be generous to, the people you want to invest in, you want to, you want to plant your life with, you want to have roots with. We've been using these, these, all these terminologies when we settle down, right? We want, to, we want to put down roots. When we think about this, do we think about all of the ways in which it could go wrong and then knowingly jump into a risky situation? Absolutely not. Instead, we, we make sure this is going to pan out. We make sure this is going to not hurt us in the end. We want to make sure that this is going to be stable and secure, and our God looks at our way of loving, caring, investing, and he does something completely the opposite, and he turns it on its head. And our God invests in love in hard places. Our God loves and invests in difficult places. So if you're finding yourself, listen, listen to the way that, listen to the way those, uh, as, as he kind of plays it out and he, and he explains it from verse 18 on, um, Jesus describes the ways in which the seeds that are sown end up being destroyed. It says that there's the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in your heart. Ever felt like that? Ever, ever felt like that? 
Ever felt like even when a good thing happens, there's almost as if something's like after you to rob you of your joy? So much so that now when good things happen, you're afraid to even enjoy them because you're almost certain something bad's going to happen? Been there? Our God loves that. Our God loves that, and he sends his son Jesus into that. It says that there's tribulation and persecution that comes on account of the seed, and immediately the seed falls away. Ever been there? (laughs) Ever feel persecuted? Ever feel like your life is kind of a trial or tribulation? If that isn't enough, he goes on and he says that the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and make it unfruitful. Ever feel like you have something good and the cares of the world, your stress and your worry, kind of rob it of its sweetness? Ever had your Saturday and Sunday ruined because you know exactly what's coming on Monday? You can't even enjoy vacation because you're already afraid of when it's going to end. You can't enjoy rest because you already know what you have to get up in the morning to do. And when we begin to draw back and think, oh no, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about that, our God rushes in. Our God rushes in generously. Our God, invests, our God invests in those areas. Our God sends his son to redeem those places. And the last one says that the seed that was actually sown on good soil, when the good news is grasped and understood, then it begins to grow. It begins to bear fruit. But just look at, just calculate the odds there. Would you be a farmer if one out of every four years you had a crop? Would you be a farmer if one out of every four seeds you bought actually played out and was profitable? I think you'd probably sell out. You'd probably sell it and jump into something else, wouldn't you? And yet look at our God, look at our God knowing, knowing that sometimes people are going to be rejecting in their own heart the love that he gives, knowing Jesus as as he looked at his people and he said, I'm going to die for those people, knowing that they would betray him, knowing that he would abandon them knowing that they would scream that they wanted him to be crucified, knowing that they would strip him naked, beat him, spit on him, punch him, and slap him in the face, knowing that they would smash a crown of thorns on his head and hang him and leave him to die in a public space so that everyone could mock and deride him, knowing that he still looked at the hard places, the difficult places, the cold places, and he said, yeah, I'm going there. Because that's where my people are. That's good news. And that's a kingdom I want to be a part of. Where the king, knowing that three out of four times I'm going to mess up, still invests and still loves. Not because we're special, but because God so loved the world that he sent his son. Not so that everything would work out great, but sometimes that one out of four pans out. Ultimately, God is doing something that's bigger and greater and more generous. Blessing or beyond compare. So I want you to see that. If nothing else, if see the parable of the sower as a story about God. Before we even talk about soil and, and what we ought to do and where we kind of fit into this, just imagine if for a minute this parable really is about God. And what must God be like if this is how He gives? What must God be like if this is how He invests? Even probably right now, you're, there are objections kind of raising in your own mind. Like, you don't know where I've been, Jonathan. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm living through. You don't know how hard it is. 
You don't know how lonely it is. You don't know how much this hurts. You're right, I don't. But our God and Father does. And he sees those hard and difficult spots. And if this seed really represents this good news of Jesus, he looks right past that weeded, thorny, rocky, dry and arid area. And all the things that you and I have been through, and he sends his son to bring light, hope, life, and fruit. Hear this good news. Our God loves even even when it's difficult. Our God loves and gives even when we reject. Our God invests. Our God has sent his son even while we were still sinners, even while we were the enemy, knowing that it wouldn't pan wouldn't pan out our god loves anyway there's an extraordinary possibility of what happens when we receive and we're transformed by the thing that god is doing but our god isn't in it just hopefully that it might work our god gives so generously so wealthy that he knows and whatever happens he's going to get the glory for it and that's why jesus tells us a story about a farmer planting seeds he doesn't tell us a story about the roman empire coming in wiping out the people violently taking whatever they want and then setting up their kingdom that oh by the way is going to get ripped up by the next violent group of people who will come and take what they want and stick their flag in the ground and say this is mine instead jesus instead of telling that kind of story jesus tells a story about his kingdom and to illustrate he tells us about a farmer planting seeds and the seeds represent not the violence and not, not the tendency of the human heart to, to want to encroach upon the people around them, but instead he tells a story about the good news of Jesus who gives himself ultimately so that everything God wanted to say to the whole world, he said in a person, Jesus. And the dirt that we see in this story, the soil, that represents us. Sometimes we're hard and unresponsive. Sometimes we're cold. Sometimes we have so many cares in our own lives that we can't even see what God's doing. So many times we have so many things that, are, that seem to be coming after us, seem to be robbing us of our joy. We can't even begin to see fruitfulness of what God would want to do in our own lives. We can't even begin to imagine that God would use us to multiply his kingdom. And yet Jesus tells a story about a farmer. And this sower exposes in his sowing and his planting, all the ways that we tend to respond to what God is doing. And the seeds, as they fall in different places, reveal the failure that already existed before the Word was sown there. And so I just ask you this. Do you find yourself relating more to the fertile soil that hears what God is doing and immediately responds and fruitfully multiplies it? Or do you find yourself seeing yourself maybe identifying with that rocky ground? Kind of shallow. Do you find yourself maybe identifying more with the life characterized by stress and cares that tend to rob us of our joy? Or maybe even you're like the first, would you re relate more with, are you a, do you feel like your life is a barren wasteland? No seed would ever begin to take root. Anything that God would give or cast on us would just bounce off waiting for someone else to get it instead of us because there is good news it's incredibly good news and if you find yourself maybe wanting you know you find yourself okay so which so how do i get to be the fertile soil how if it's so much out of my control if god is doing something he's planting seeds and and there seem to be terrible things going on that seem to rob the fruitfulness of the seed three out of four times at least 
You find yourself going, oh man, that's scary. How, I don't know if I can be that fertile soil. Well, now when you begin to think about that, now you have an introduction to God's grace. Now you're beginning to understand God's grace. If you find yourself saying, I can't remove all the cares of my world so that I can fruitfully hear, receive, and follow Jesus. I can't remove all the stress out of my life. If you find yourself thinking, I I can't fix everything. I can't clean everything up so that God's word would root itself in my life and then bless the people around me. If you find yourself thinking that, you're in a perfect place to understand the meaning of this parable. You're in a perfect place to understand that this soil that existed and the seed that fell on it was a result of something that had already taken place. So here's some application for you, all right? Very clearly, and we'll get to the way it kind of defies our own conventional application. So the way in which Jesus explains this parable is that sometimes when you hear this, you won't quite understand it. But if you do right now, you're like, yeah, I got you. Rest easy. Because God then illustrates how this sometimes pans out. All right? So would you find yourself to be an arid place? Do you find yourself being a cold place? Uh, A place that, I don't know, is trampled down like the path. Here's my uh, application for you. Here's my advice for you. Man, you need to plow up some stuff. There's some things that your life has trampled down you need to plow up. People stepping on you, people walking on you. If you find yourself being a path for other people to get to where they're going, you need to root that up. I mean, you need to dig that up. You need to plow that up. Because if those kinds of things that, that trample you down are keeping God from using you, then you need to do everything in your power to make that a reality. You need to dig that up. If you find yourself maybe relating to, to, uh, to some of the other the seed that fell maybe on the rocks, okay? Would people describe you as a shallow person? You need to plow that up, man. You've got to plow that up. You've got to dig that up. You've got to do something that will rid yourself of kind of your shallow tendencies. Do you find yourself having lots of shallow friends and no deep ones? You find yourself being really eager to leave where you are? You find yourself being, you know, reluctant to put down roots, but instead you want to run away? You're looking for the next best thing? Dig that up. It, that might be a way in which, that might be a thing that's keeping God from working in your life. Instead of being like willing to stay but looking to leave, what if we were willing to leave but planning to stay? What if we began deep people that had that roots that were deep? It seems that if that picture, if that analogy, maybe I'm going too far, if that analogy applies to us, then Maybe we need to be deeper people, more deeply invested in a few things rather than scattering out to the point where we can't invest deeply in anyone or anything. That needs to be ripped up. Then last one, man, the weeds, this, this is where I find myself. Um, the cares of this world. I don't know, did you notice like, especially it says the stress or the, the things that come from riches. Now, I doubt anyone in this room would say, hey, I'm a rich person, but Apparently, even the least amount of riches is a hindrance for what God wants to do. So much so that Jesus illustrated this in another way. When a man who was rich and powerful, called a rich young ruler, came to Jesus and he said, Hey, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus laid the smack down and he said, By the way, rich young ruler, you need to relinquish all your riches. You need to sell them all. And then take whatever you get and give it to the poor. And when you're done with that, drop everything and follow me. 
And that man, instead of following Jesus and receiving the eternal life that he said that he wanted, had walked away cold-hearted, walked away not receiving the gift that Jesus so freely wanted to give. Why? Because he was not able to let go of the things that he held so dearly. Have you ever noticed how like, the things you invest in to reduce stress always cause more stress? That's why there's sayings like you know, the, your two favorite days when you buy a boat are the day you buy it and the day you sell it. Because things like that, you're like, well, you, well, I want less stress, so I'm going to buy a boat. And then you're like, oh my goodness, this is really expensive and stressful to keep up. Do that? Own an RV, right? Vacation? You ever, you're like, hey, we're going to plan out a vacation. And it's, it's going to relieve our stress. And then after the vacation... You, your family, they hate each other, and you need another vacation to recover from the thing you called a vacation. And the whole intention was to get rest and relieve stress. And in the end, that thing that you invested in caused more stress. You get what he's starting to imply here? Man, I would, I'd be a lot happier if I had a bigger, nicer house. Yeah, you would. And then you've got to clean a bigger, nicer house. And you've got to pay insurance on a bigger, nicer house. And the upkeep's going to be harder. Get what I'm saying? And even though these things we see and we go, that would make me happy, that would give me joy. If we're not careful and this parable applies to us, it actually causes more stress. It actually causes more worry. Don't hear me wrong. Don't just go be homeless if you don't feel God to do it, but hear me right. It could be that even the few things that you and I do have may be terribly, terribly unhealthy for what God wants to do in our life. God wants to rip that up. Maybe we need to plow that up. Maybe going bankrupt, maybe God's mercy on you to keep you from worshiping all the stuff that keeps you from loving Him. Sometimes those cares, as, as much as they may seem like they're good investments for us, keep us from the greater thing, the eternal thing. And frankly, maybe this applies for some of us, some of those cares, if not most of them, are self-inflicted. Some of us are like, we're reeling and we're not able to really hear God's word and be blessed by it because we've kind of swamped ourselves with self-inflicted wounds. Be careful the next time you complain about something or, or you're like, oh, this is really terrible. Just stop for a minute and ask yourself a really difficult question. And if you're really brave, ask someone around you the very difficult question. Did I bring this on myself? Did I bring this on myself? It's kind of like the person who's like, ah, the more money I make, the more taxes I have to pay. Well, what? What's really worse? You want to have no money or you want to have no taxes? Which is it? Because that's a self-inflicted wound. I know how you can get out of taxes. Stop making money. Some of these things that we feel like are robbing us may be self-inflicted wounds. And maybe the thing to do is to surround yourself with people and ask them, hey, I'm really stressed right now and I'm really struggling. Is it because of a choice I've made or is it something that someone else is doing to me? And nine times out of ten, I hate the answer, but nine times out of ten, the stress I have is because of a decision I made. I'm paying for a sin I committed in the past. Plow it up. Plow it up. It would be better to be fertile soil than it would be to lose out on what God is doing. Because you know the thing about fertile soil? Fertile soil is empty. empty it's clear it's ready to be planted upon no weeds no rocks it's not packed down and crushed down but instead it's loose and receptive in fact the most fertile soil here's an analogy for another sermon or another day that we see it's full of really high nitrogen content right 
it's well fertilized. And you know what makes really good fertilizer? Yeah. That's what makes fertile soil. What would it take for us to look more and more like that? And here's what I think you might begin to feel, maybe if you're like me. God, there's no way I can clear out all this mess. God, there's no way on my own effort that I could become a blank slate. Too much has happened. Too much has packed me down. Too many rocks are in my life. Too many stresses and cares are in my life. And maybe if you're like me, you find yourself thinking, this is impossible. And I have good news for you. I have incredibly good news for you. God wants to do something amazing in your life. God wants to plant the seed of his good news that it might be fruitful so that ultimately the credit belongs to him. So maybe the response for us is to pray. There's two different ways I think maybe we respond to this. One of maybe we respond and pray and asking God, God, if you need to uproot some things, if you need to plow up some rocks, if you need to, to dig up some things in our life to, to make room for what you want to do, Maybe now is the time we actually pray, and this is a bold and scary prayer, and I know what I'm asking. It's a scary thing. God, I'm going to let go of some things in order to see what you're doing. I'm going to let go of some things. They seem important to me, and I love them, but for the sake of being a part of your kingdom and to see the kingdom come and your kingship and your reign over my own life, I'm willing to let go of some things. And then pray that God would plow up. This is a bold prayer. Pray that God would plow up the stuff that we can't dig up ourselves. It's actually God's mercy. But then lastly, did you catch that happy ending here? There's a fruitfulness that comes on here that's like defies the imagination. It said that possibly 20, 30, 50 fold. That's the kind of fruitfulness that God means to have with this one little plant. And then it says a hundred fold. Well, that's a miracle, isn't it? If you planted one plant of corn and got a hundred years off of it, whoa. Now we're talking about something crazy, right? Now we're talking about a miracle. Now we're talking about God's grace. Now we're talking about the ways in which God does something through you and me that defy our imagination and begin to bless the people around us in a way that we can't even understand. Now we're talking about something that's exciting. Are you the kind of person when people come around, they, they walk away feeling even more fruitful, like their time with you is fruitful? Because if so, now, now you're beginning to see the fruitfulness that God gives through the gospel. When God transforms our life and makes us into something that's greater and more amazing than we can even explain, now we're talking about God's miraculous grace. What if this applied to our church? What if this applied to this thing we call Connection Church? God does something in it that at the end of the day becomes so big and so crazy that we have, no, we have no recourse but to give God all the credit for it. What if that were possible? What if we began to pray that way? What if we began to, instead of seeing the worries and the cares and the stresses and maybe some of them we've inflicted upon ourselves, what if we began to see the fruitfulness that God means to have through you and me? Because our God did not send his son to love you alone, but our God sent his son to love you and then bless the world through you. So much so at the end of the day, the fruitfulness would be miraculous and completely unexplainable. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. Um, we thank you for your word. 
God, we thank you for uh, the plain truth of your teaching. We thank you that you are a God not of mysteries. Um, you're not a God of deception. Uh, but you are a God that, that means to actively and intentionally reveal himself to us. So much so that you sent your son Jesus. And in that moment that Jesus was amongst his people, the people he meant to save, and he spoke plainly and he appealed to us. So God, would you appeal to us now? Would you appeal to us? Would you begin to speak the language we understand? We confess that we, on our own merit, are, we're rocky soil. We're, we're a path that's packed down, that's prone to be the victim of evil. We're, we're prone to be surrounded by weeds and things that choke out real joy in our life. We're, we're prone to that. That, is, that's, that seems to be our nature. What seems least likely is that we would naturally be a place where a fertile soil might be found, that you might plant your word in us. So we confess, we confess all the ways in which cares, uh, the stresses, our experience, our past, our memories, we, we confess in way all the ways our decisions and all of these things have hindered the way that you mean to be fruitful, you mean to bring your kingdom. Would we submit to you as a king? We confess to you now. We fail. God, we, we repent. We return. We, we just turn away from that. And we pray a, a prayer that's bold. Uh, we pray together. God, would you make us fruitful? Would you, would you do something in us that will be so great that it will be noticeable to 30 people, 40 people? God, would, would you do something in each of us that would be noticeable and impactful to 100 people? God, that's a miracle. That's a, that's a miracle we'd have to give you credit for. God, we know ultimately we're not in control of what type of soil we are. Um, there's so many things that have affected us that uh, they're outside of our control. And we know if we're going to be a fertile soil that receives this good news, this good news that you have come to redeem those who are enemies, those who are running and rebelling from you, you have come even to the places that are rocky, hard, difficult, places that are plagued by the enemy. You mean to make those places fertile. We have no control over it. Would you do that now? Would you begin to transform our own hearts and lives, create fertility that we would look and see your fruitfulness that you have, and you get the glory for how good you've been to us. God, forgive me for any way that I've made the plain sense of this parable dis, uh, confusing. May we ultimately be the people who hear and understand and not the people who see, but in the end have our eyes closed. Only you can do that. And we want to respond faithfully as you work in your name. Amen.